Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to LifePoint. If, if we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Ben Miller. I'm the Campus Life Pastor here at the Marion Campus. Um, if you're a new guest, I want you to do is take out your phone and point at the QR code in one of the seats in front of you. Scan that code. It'll take you to a website called lpguest.com. I want you to fill that out, and as you do, um, we, we, will, we will actually donate $5 in your honor to a, a uh, partner of, of your choice. So this morning, um, we are in the middle of a Christmas series, um, and in this series, we are looking at parts of, first, of Colossians 1 as if they were an Advent calendar. And this Advent calendar has different weeks, and the first week was hope, and this week it is joy. And the, the message of this week is that Jesus brought us joy. Jesus brought us joy. I know for some of you, kind of like what Brad says, some of you, um, you're going into this Christmas holiday and, and you are and you, you're loving the Christmas movies, you are loving all the Christmas things, and for others, this may cause you a sense of sorrow or stress or even maybe even a sense of, of bad memories or, or whatever it is in you, and, and, and I know that um, this may be a difficult time for you, but I want you to understand that no matter what, all those things aside, Jesus is our source of joy for the Christmas season and for all eternity. So this morning, um, we're going to talk through Colossians 1, but before we do, um, I'm going to just open up in a word of prayer. God, we, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. We pray that you would be with us, that you would soften our hearts as we look at your word, that you would speak through me, that, God, you would give me the words to say, and that, that you would speak to the hearts of all those who are here, that, God, lives would be changed and, and, um, and, and people would come to know you as their Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you have your Bibles, take your Bibles out. Um, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry. Um, the words will be on the screen. You can also... Um, get the LifePoint Ohio app, and in the LifePoint Ohio app, you can look at and choose our campus and follow along with the message. There are message notes out there. You can fill things out and even email them to yourself. Okay, so we're going to start with our, our, our passage this morning, and I'm going to read through it, and then we're going to break it down. So Colossians 1, 9 to 14. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to, hit, to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. This passage lays out for us a lot of information about joy. It also tells us a very strong relationship between truth and joy. Truth and joy have a strong relationship, and I want to prove that to you this morning, because what I, what I would say to you is that without truth, without a fundamental understanding and knowledge of the truth of the Word of God and of Jesus Christ, there is no joy. 
no true joy. So let's go back to Colossians 1.9. Just start with that first verse. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We live in a noisy world. There's a lot of messages that are coming at us from different angles. A lot of those messages are coming from a place of people who are telling you the truth. They're saying, just trust me, this is true. Just trust me, this is true. And, and we're hearing those messages, we're seeing those messages, they're coming at us from different angles. We're also seeing and hearing people say things like, this is my truth. I want to tell you my truth. And I want to, I want to tell you that this morning that, that God is the source of truth and he's the creator of truth. There's a lot of confusion out there. So, and this brings us to our first point this morning. Being filled with the knowledge of his will and spiritual understanding comes from our study of his word. So how do we define truth? You know, people define, may, may try to define truth in different ways, and they may say, well, the truth, truth is what's within us, or there are many ways to God, or there are, there are lots of different truths out there. And I would say to you, there is one truth, or it is one massive lie. So let me say it like this. If we were to turn out the lights in here this morning, and I were to try to tell you that the lights were still on, you would already know that that was a lie, right? You would say, that's a lie. I don't believe you. But if we were to look at any other thing that says that it's the truth, it's not as easy to discern. But there always is a truth and a lie. Let's look at Jesus, for instance. So Jesus says, while he's still on this earth, that he is God, that he is equal with God. So if he's wrong but thinks he's God, that makes him crazy. If, he's, if he knows that he's telling a lie and he says it anyway, that makes him a deceptive manipulator. But if he's telling the truth and he is who he says he is, then we have an eternal hope in Jesus Christ who came, and that is exactly what we celebrate during Christmas. That joy entered the earth, and that joy has a name, and that name is Jesus. And that he lived his life, and he died on a cross, and was buried, and then three days later, he resurrected, conquering death and sin for our sake. So that those of us who believe in him can have eternal life. That's joy. You know, um, we live in a world that I feel like doesn't fight back as much as they used to, at least in the Christian world, even when it comes to our own brains. So I'm not even talking about verbally getting into arguments with other people. I'm talking about sometimes I think what we do is we assume truth and then we figure it out later. But when in all actuality, the Bible tells us there's a better way to handle this. We are to wage war against lies. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world, 
On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of, of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. How do we wage war on the lies? Some of you who've grown up in the church, you might remember the song, Onward Christian Soldiers Marching On to War with the Cross Before Us Going On Before. It's an awesome song, right? But I think when we think about this, we often don't follow through with that. It's not as though we're often waging war against the sin in our lives or against the lies that are coming at us or even against the slow drip of, of compromise that comes in our lives. We don't often take a stand against these things. We don't fight back. We don't see that there's something to fight for. We don't fight with the spiritual weapons that are around us, and we don't take captive every thought to bring it obedience to Christ. I don't know if you know this, but it's part of our job description, according to that verse. That brings us to our next point. It's the job of every believer to tear down demonic strongholds. It's the job of every believer. It's no less true of the early church than it is today of us. Why would it be any less true of them than it is of us? He says, tear down every stronghold. All the things that are setting themselves up as, as a competition against God for his glory. You know, those early Christians, they fought for a lot of different things. And, um, and yet, in our world today, I feel like we are being force-fed lies through all the different methods that we can, whether that's through radio or social media or TV or whatever it is. How do we bring captive every thought to Christ? Let's look at one other passage as we think about this particular topic. Let's look at Acts 17, 10 to 12. Acts 17, 10 to 12. I want to talk about how to do it right. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea, and on arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness, and this is super important, examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed also as, a number of, also, as did a number of prominent Greek women and men, uh, many Greek men. So the Bereans, little, going back in history a little bit, in the book of Acts, you see Paul going around from town to town. The Apostle Paul's preaching the gospel. He's starting churches, and he comes to a town. He was kicked out of one town, and, and he comes to a town called Berea. And in the town of Berea, he preaches the gospel just like he did everywhere else, but what's different about them and what's notable about them and, and, and says that they have a noble character is that they took what Paul was saying and they assessed it according to the word of God. They studied it and matched it against the word of God so that they could tell whether or not what, what he was saying was true. And because they were doing that and they were testing it, they believed. You know, as we look at all the things that the world is telling us. If we were to listen to everything out there, we, we would never leave the front door. We would believe that zombies were at our door. We would believe our brains were plugged into a virtual reality and weren't really true. 
There's so many things that we could say were true, we're, we think were true because we're told all these things and then it produces in us a sense of fear and anxiety, not a sense of joy. So what do we do when we're faced with lies? That brings us to our next point. When the world sells us something as true, our knowledge and understanding of the Word of God will help us discern truth from lie. Our knowledge of the Word of God will help us discern truth from lie. Something we pray for all believers is that they can discern truth from lie. My heart aches for you to have a passion for the Word of God, for you to see the Word of God as it is, That doesn't mean that you need to be able to explain every theological idea or concept. It doesn't mean that you need to be able to quote everything in it from chapter and verse, every piece. That's not what I'm talking about. Having a passion for the Word of God is more about figuring out who God is. And, And we test everything that comes our way against the Word of God. We are looking at the character of God and not just seeking the Word of God for how I feel today. And and I'm not saying it's wrong to read the Bible to gain something in your heart for that day, some sort of encouragement for that day. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is there's a longer-term gain, and that longer-term gain is a passion for the heart of God to understand the heart and the character of God. And that's entirely dependent on us. And that brings us to our next point. Our ability to judge truth is dependent on our study of the Word of God. We play a role. Whether we want to accept this role or not, we play a role in the joy in our own hearts. We play a role in our knowledge of the Word of God Are we willing to study it or not? That's up to us. We can devote ourselves like the Bereans to the study of the Word of God in a way that we can test everything coming our way and it becomes a grid that we filter things through. And that filtering of things through, we can say that's a lie. That's the truth. And we can't do that if we don't know the Word of God. And I want to challenge you not to take every day for granted, and just let another day go by without reading the Word of God. It's so important for our walk with God. And why is it important? It's important because we want to know the heart of God. Look with me at Colossians 1.10. Colossians 1.10. It says, So as, we, as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We should have a desire to please God. We won't have a desire to please God if we don't know who He is. If we don't know who He is, we won't know what pleases Him. If we don't know His Word, we can't figure out in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, what will make him happy. I know a lot of us want to get to heaven and we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. 
And that is good, and that affirmation is great, but I want to tell you, it's so much more than that. It's saying you understood what was pleasing to God, and you pursued it. Our ultimate goal in life should be to please our Heavenly Father. Our ultimate goal in life should be to please our Heavenly Father. If we know the Word of God and pursue the Word of God, not for our own gain necessarily, not not so that we can impress people with our knowledge, but because we are pursuing the heart of God, it changes the way we look at it, changes the way we look at everything. That's That's how King David becomes a man after God's own heart is because he seeks to know the character of God. He seeks to know what pleases God and then pursues it with his life. We know his character, then we can know what makes his heart sad, what makes his heart glad. We can love what he loves, which is people. We can hate what he hates, like sin. But we won't know either of those things if we don't know the heart of God. Let's continue on with Colossians 1.11. Being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Through the word of God, knowing his heart, knowing his word, knowing the truth, strengthens us. It strengthens us with power, not our own power, but his power. And as we're strengthened with his power, we also will face things. And we know that we are supported by his glorious might. There's a confidence there because our God is a strong and mighty God, that he walks beside us and goes before us, that no matter what's happening, he is with us. And we can pursue forward in endurance and patience, which by the way are earned. I know we know that salvation is not earned. I'm not saying that. But there are plenty of things in life that are earned. Wisdom, endurance, patience. Endurance and patience cannot, you can't wake up one morning and have endurance and patience. Sorry, that just doesn't, it's not how it works. You have to earn it. I'm not going to, clearly, you look at me, you go, I know he can run a 50 mile uh, trek across Africa. Obviously, you know that's not true. But If I were to wake up every morning and prepare for that, and that's what I was preparing for, that was my goal in life, and I was doing it every day because that's what I was pursuing, then you'd say, that's endurance. That that kind of marathon is an, an endurance marathon, and it takes a great deal of patience to be able to endure that kind of marathon. Well, what about the marathon of life? We are faced with the marathon of life. We don't give up halfway through. We don't give up at the beginning. We have to learn how to endure. It takes patience. It takes work. We have to earn that endurance. And it doesn't come easily, sadly. You know, as we face the challenges in our lives with endurance, there's a lot of effort that goes into that. 
If you wake up tomorrow and you do the same thing as you did today, will you have more endurance or less endurance than you did today? That's something that you need to figure out. There is an eternal perspective that comes with endurance. There is an eternal perspective that comes with patience. And that eternal perspective doesn't come easily. Look with me at this next passage, Colossians 1.12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Giving thanks. Well, I can tell you that endurance and patience comes at a price that doesn't feel very thankful. Endurance and patience feels bad. It hurts. Just like going to the gym or running hurts. It hurts. But as you do it, you know that it's good for you, so you keep on doing it. You know, as things come in your life, there's a sense of perspective that can come from that. You can face the trials and the tribulations and the difficulties in your life, and you can do it. You can face it one of two ways. You can be angry at God about it, which is okay. I mean, the Bible can say, you know, the Bible even has examples of people who were angry at God. It wasn't like they were struck down by lightning, but that's not what those passages are about. Those passages are about being real with God, but you have to land the plane. They'll land the plane by saying God is good. He is still good. He will always be good. And he is the one that I put my trust in. When, when trials come, when difficulties come, what happens in us is it builds up a sense of endurance and patience. And that endurance and patience produces perspective. And that perspective produces gratitude. Where we are thankful to God for all that we've endured, for all that we've been through, knowing that he is still God. It's not about the outcome of what we're praying. It's not about, what, you know, what if we don't like the outcome? We're praying for something and it never happens. God is still good. And that endurance and that patience is agreeing with God that he is still good and he is still in control and he is still trustworthy. If you do not have gratitude, then you have no perspective. Let me put it like this. I, I think that there are in this world some of what I would call Christian animists. I don't know if you know what an animist is. An animist is like this. So some of the earliest forms of false god worship were animists. Animists are a lot of times we see among you know, native peoples, and um, what they're doing is they're like they look at the sun and they look at the rain and they, they, they pray to the rain and the sun as if they were gods. They make gods out of them and they say, if I do a good enough job worshiping the sun and I do a good enough job worshiping the rain, then I'll have a good harvest and my family won't go hungry. I would contend to you that there are Christian animists out there. There are people who say things like, I've been praying for this, and it's not working. And if you've ever said that, I'm not trying to call you out. I'm just saying that that's not a godly perspective. Because a godly perspective isn't about it working. We can't ever force the hand of God. 
God's going to choose what he chooses, and it doesn't matter what you want as far as the outcome goes. What matters is his will. And our heart should start to, as we place our faith and trust in him, our heart should start to align with his will. As we mature in Christ, we want to align with his will. We want to see what makes him happy, what pleases him, what doesn't please him, and we want to align our hearts that way. And as we do, maybe we won't get what we want. It doesn't mean he doesn't care for you. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It doesn't doesn't mean he doesn't see your hurt or your pain or what you're going through. What it means is he sees something better that you can't see. And whatever it is that's better that you can't see... You have to, at the end of the day, rest in the fact that God is good. That brings us to our next point, that joy is the product of gratitude no matter the circumstances. No matter the circumstances. Joy is the product of gratitude no matter the circumstances. Let me take a minute to prove it. We had many apostles of the New Testament that died for the cause of Christ. Paul, Peter. The first one, his name was Stephen, which of which Paul, the Apostle Paul was part of the process of stoning him to death. But what's amazing about Stephen's story is as he's being stoned for the cause of Christ, joy radiates from his face. Why? Why would joy radiate from his face as he's dying? Because he sees something better. He's seeing something better than that moment. You know, all those apostles that died for the cause of Christ, it wasn't that they weren't sad for those they left behind or worried about the, the ministries that they had planted, that not knowing if they would go forward or not without them. They were. They were worried about these things. They were concerned. They loved people. They loved, they didn't want to hurt their family. None of that would, you know, I'm not saying any of that's false. All of that is true, but they saw something better. They know that a lot of times, according to the word of God, when a martyr dies, it bursts forth a flame that ignites a whole lot of other lives for all eternity. The same is true of our pain. A lot of times when we as believers in Christ are going through something difficult, it ignites little fires in the lives of those around us as they watch us endure, as they watch us with patience, as they watch us pursue Christ in the midst of the pain. They see something of value and say, I want that. It puts perspective in our situation. You know, some Christmas movies I enjoy. One of the movies that is my favorite that I watch every year is It's a Wonderful Life. Now, of course, you have to set aside some of the bad theology. Every time a a bell rings, an angel does not get its wings. It does not work. There's a lot of things that happen in the movie. You know, uh, there's not like this meeting in heaven that happens necessarily if somebody is, is in trouble and they come together and Mary, Joseph, and 
Jacob are talking together and weird things are happening. It's not like that. But there is something special about this movie. The something special about this movie is that there is only one thing that changes throughout the entire movie. One thing. And that thing is George Bailey's perspective. It's the only thing that changes the whole movie, and that's what makes it great. Because as he's going through, he's, he makes sacrifices for his family. He makes sacrifices for people. He's helping people out. He's going through difficult situations. He puts his own dreams on hold many times over and over. And, you know, and yet God blesses him along in his life, and he gets to a place where out beyond his control, he's facing jail time and, and all these other problems. And as he does, he, he thinks about taking his own life. And that's when Clarence the angel steps in. Obviously not biblical, but important anyway, because he gives him a glimpse, glimpse at his life if he didn't exist. And if, his, if, he didn't, if he didn't do what he did, if he didn't live his life out, so many people's lives would be affected. Why is that so important? Because that is absolutely 100% true of every single person in this room. If you did not exist, I'm not even talking about great big grand gestures, but every good thing you've ever done that God has used in your life, if it did not exist, then other people's lives around you would not be positively affected. And when we think about that, it should produce in us a sense of gratitude. And that gratitude produces joy. We, many of us may or may not, probably not, experience the ending of It's a Wonderful Life where everybody comes to our rescue and they're piling in money when, obviously, that's a Hollywood ending. But I will say this, our ending is better. We may not, as we're going through financial struggles and stretched thin, we may not have anybody come to our rescue or bail us out, but I will tell you this, that one day, when you're standing in heaven at a banquet feast with Jesus Christ, none of it will matter. Not a single bit of it will matter. We have a far greater inheritance than any of that. And that brings us to our next point, that Jesus is our ultimate and eternal source of all forms of joy. For those of you who are underliners, we'll go back one, <laughs> that, that Jesus is born, joy is born in the midst of perspective about our pain. I did forget to mention that, so if you're one of those people who likes to fill in all those underlines, I don't want you to freak out later. Um, and then our next point is Jesus is, is our ultimate and eternal source of all forms of joy. There is perspective and gratitude. Gratitude is a matter of perspective. You know, oftentimes I think that we think about all the cards that are stacked against us and we're thinking to ourselves, God, why can't anything just go my way? Why can't I just catch a break? Why can't something go my way? And I think all the time God is sitting there saying, don't you realize how richly I blessed you? 
Don't you realize all the things that I've given you? Don't you realize just how amazingly blessed and loved you are? When we look at the long term and we see, okay, maybe I don't have a, a George Bailey ending, but we look at the long term and we see, we see, the pas- we see these passages that talk about eternal joy. It, I mean, there's, there's an unbelievable amount of, of God's joy in our lives. And being filled with the knowledge of the Word of God, we test all the lies that come our way. As we study His Word, pushing back against the lies, waging war against the darkness of this world, we start to gain a sense of perspective. That perspective produces in us endurance and patience, and that patience and endurance works itself out in gratitude. And that gratitude is an eternal joy. Maybe you are here this morning and you're at rock bottom. Like, you know what, I'm just, I'm frustrated with my life right now. I'm frustrated with all the things I feel like are going wrong. My finances are stretched thin. I've got an addiction I can't shake. Maybe you just need a change of perspective. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't, even, I don't even understand where to start because I just don't have any joy in my heart and I'm not even sure I believe in Jesus. You know what, I'm going to tell you, that's a great place to start. I think, I think that God uses despair in our lives to create a vacuum for hope to enter. And in that vacuum, where hope enters, the Holy Spirit is calling you to himself. He's saying there is a better way. There is a better joy. There is a hope. And if that's you here today, I want you to understand, Jesus says there is only one way. There is one way to heaven, and it is through him. He's either crazy manipulative, or he's 100% absolutely right. And for those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there is an eternal hope that cannot be shaken no matter what happens. There is a guaranteed joy that is long-term and eternal. So if you're struggling with something today and you're not sure how to handle it, I want to let you know, we're going to, we're going to take communion here in a minute, and um, as we do, um, there's going to be some folks in the back with gray shirts on that say next steps. I want you to take a minute and pray with them. They're there for you, to pray with you. Now, as we take communion, I, I want to tell you that, um, that it, if you are here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, it is the only thing we ask you not to participate in, is this communion. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to take a minute, prepare your hearts. I'm going to give you a couple minutes, and you're going to pray, pray, and then I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to take communion together. So let's just focus on God for a minute.
As you lift your eyes up, I want you to, if you do not have a communion cup like this, I want you to raise your hand. We'll get one to you right away. There'll be folks with blue shirts wandering around, passing those out. On the night which Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples together, and he said, Take this bread, which is my body, broken for you. And whenever you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. And like the bread, he took the cup, And he said, this cup is my blood. And as you do it, as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. God, we are so thankful for your word. We are thankful for its power in our lives. It is the lifeblood of for those who believe in you. I pray, God, that you would fill our hearts and our heads with your word, that we would live it out day by day. And as we go through our day, I pray that we would use it to filter through the lies, that, God, we would use it to draw close to you, use it to change our perspective, to fill our hearts with joy and gratitude. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.